Well, thanks for coming out, guys. I'm glad that you, got, you are here. Uh, obviously, it's a little chilly. This will probably be the last men's event uh, of the year that we have outside. We might have to make some compromises and travel over to uh, Illinois um, next time. And um, just to let everybody know, I received a lot of feedback, and yes, we can have the sex talk, okay? That's just what I've been, that's what everybody's been talking to me about. We need to have the sex talk. And I was like, not like, how, well, never mind. <clears throat> I'll keep the videos, you know, we won't show videos or draw, make drawings or anything. But we've been, uh, a lot of folks just how to live in this world, an overly, overly sexualized world, how to be men. It's, it's really more difficult now than ever uh, when it comes to um, sexual morality. So that's what we'll, we'll be talking about uh, six weeks from now, whatever it is, whenever we get, uh, whenever we schedule that next time. Uh, but I am, I'm stoked that on a Saturday morning that this many men from our church came out to be invested in and to make a kind of a deposit in, into the godly uh, manhood bank account because it's not easy. <clears throat> and um, and it, it's like being a man and actually just being a disciple of Jesus, but also as a man, it's like sw- swimming in the Mississippi River, right? If you're, there's a lot of analogies I could go there, but if you're not swimming hard and, go, and, and fighting against the current, right, you're floating downstream. And that's the way it is. Guys, we can, and it's, that's why it's so exhausting being a man and trying to be, and being a godly man is because as soon as we stop swimming, what happens? <sighs> downstream, right? So this is one avenue, this is one way for us to, um, to, to work on what it means to be a man, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and uh, so I'm, I'm really thrilled that you're here this morning. What we're going to do is I'm going to talk for a little bit. I have no idea how long. I did get the, the clearance yesterday from my doctor. So I'm feeling good about that. Uh, <clears throat> so I don't know what that's going to mean about how long I'm going to talk. But, uh, and then I'm going to invite Dr. Alex up. And Dr. Alex is going to share a little bit of his story and work out some of the practicalities of what we're talking about, show how, it, how what I'm talking about um, worked in his life. And um, here's, here's what we want here's what I want you guys to do. Um, I enjoy it when you ask questions, okay? That brings things out of me that I didn't think about or I hadn't planned or I, didn't, I wasn't clear, so I, it gives me an opportunity to, to clarify some things. And so as I'm talking, um, you can just literally write that question down, type it into your notes app, whatever, and then at the end, we'll do a Q&A again that we can you know, answer, fill out anything that we, didn't, we weren't clear on. Cool? All right, let me pray. <clears throat> Father, we uh, thank you for being a God who created us and you created us in your image. We thank you that you made us uh, men, that, that you have a calling for us, you have a plan for us. I mean, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you send, you and the Son, Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit into us to remake us from the inside out to empower us to follow you. Father, we invite that Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds this morning, to open our hearts, to get us prepared to receive your word so that we could be the men that you've called us to be. I pray that you would think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords that it would be all of you and none of me. I pray this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so one of the things that we were talking about last time was just the importance of what it means to be a man and to <clears throat> build a life and to 
build a career. And that's kind of what we're going to build. We're going to build off of that this morning. And the idea is how to build a good life, how to build a good family, how to build a good career, how to build a good ministry. Now, you go into the corporate world and they've got all kinds of principles that they're going to tell you how to do that. But, and many times you come to church and all we hear is the gospel. And so we get an understanding of the gospel, but then we're like, but how do I build a life? How do I build a career? How do I build a family? And I've had so many people over the years, I'm preaching the gospel and people just come to me like confused. Like, but should I work hard? Like, what should I do? I want something to do. What should I do? Just sit at home and believe the gospel, right? And, and so today I'm gonna, hopefully going to build that out a little bit and give us some things that we can actually do to, to build a good life and to, uh, to build things, okay? So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Matthew 7. I've been spending a lot of time in, Ma- in the first Matthew 5 to 7. Obviously, you know, we're going through um, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' famous sermon. And in 724 through 27, Jesus makes a statement and kind of tells a story that if you've ever been, if you grew up in church, actually, let me see, who went to children's church as a kid? Okay. You know this story then. Because this is like, if any Sunday school teacher doesn't know what to teach on, this is what they teach on. You probably, if you're old enough, if you're old as me, you had a flannel graph of this story. If you know what a flannel graph is, if you don't, YouTube it. You might be entertained, okay? But this is one of Jesus, he ends, he ends the Sermon on the Mount with it, and it's, it's really, you would think it's, kind of, it's very simple. You could ask your five-year-old to tell you this story, and they're going to be able to do it. But it's also really profound, and it's opened up for me in a way that it never has before. I've been a Christian 20 years, grew up my entire life in church, and this passage has opened up for me in new ways. So so let's go ahead and read it. Chapter 7, verse 24. Everyone, then, who hears these words of mine, now just stop right there. The words of mine, he's literally, he just preached a sermon. This is his conclusion. And in this sermon, Jesus talks about a lot of things, the the beatitudes that we're going through right now. He talks about how to deal with your anger. He talks about how to deal with lust. He talks about how to deal with money. He talks about how to deal with anxiety. Jesus talks about a lot of very important, very pertinent issues in his Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he says. Keep going. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, so everything that Jesus has taught, and does them, probably should circle those words, and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let me just read the whole thing and we'll go through it. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat against that house and it fell, the house fell and great was the fall of it. 
<clears throat> okay, so couple, first off, first thing I want us to notice here, when I first came to faith, I thought that if I built my house on the rock or if somehow if I followed Jesus, that I could keep the storms of life at bay. I wasn't going to experience loss. I wasn't going to experience pain. Things were going to go well for me, right? Surprisingly, in this little story that we all, we all have probably heard and we all know, guess what? The storms came for both houses, right? The storms came. And that's an aspect of the world that we're living in. And so this morning, what I want to talk about is how to build a life that can withstand the storms. Because, I mean, I, storms are, a, there's a plethora of different storms. We're in a storm right now. Can you, right, when, when it storms, when, it's, when you're in the midst of a, a derecho, right, you're like, it just keeps blowing. What is going on, right? And that's, don't you feel like that in our culture right now? One thing after the other, right? That's how I feel. I, I mean, I feel like we're in the middle of like dumb and dumber right now. Like our pets' heads are falling off. What's going on? Like what's next? You know, how is this going on? Or how's, when is this going to stop? And you can think, oh man, the world is out of control or I've done something wrong. And going back to the store, the story, it's like, no, 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 no. Jesus said from the very beginning here, Winds are going to come. Rains are going to come. Like your house is going to be tested, right? So I want you to hear it like this. Your faith is going to be tested. Your life is going to be tested. Your home is going to be tested. Your career is going to be tested. Our church is going to be tested. Like right now, the church is being tested. There's a lot of churches that will not, will not come out of this uh, pandemic. They're failing right now. There's a lot of pastors. I'm reading reports right now that says the vast majority of pastors are thinking about quitting right now. It's a whole lot easier just to go and, and, and find, a, find a, a corporate job than deal with all of the chaos that's in our world right now. <clears throat> so I want us to see first thing here is that the world is set up in such a way where everyone's house is going to be tested. We've, and I, I say that like this, we all, every person here, we all have to go through enough to kill us. Literally, like that's, that's life, going through enough to kill us, whether that's at 18, 40, 60, or 100. This is just a natural law. It's true for the Christian and the non-Christian. We see here there's a house that's built on the foundation. It experienced storm. There's a house that's, not, that's built on a sandy foundation. It experienced a storm. Everyone, Christian or unchristian, has got to go through storms of life and their house is going to be tested, okay? The question is, do we want a bit to build a life or a home or a family or a career or a business or a church that actually weathers the storm? That's the question. <clears throat> so let's, let's look at this text a little bit this morning. So it says, everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them, so it mean, that means it's not enough just to listen to these words. It's not enough just to know these words, that they actually have to be put into action. We actually have to let the Sermon on the Mount shape the way that we live, right? That means shape the way that we are in a relationship with our wife, shape the way that we're in a relationship with our career, shape the way that we're in a relationship with our kids, with our friends, 
with our friends and with our church and with God himself. Keep reading. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, what is the rock? The rock, quite simply here, is the words of Jesus, right? The way of Jesus. So he's saying that a life built on the words of Jesus or built around the way of Jesus is going to be a life that can stand up to the storms. You're going to have the emotional stability to weather chaotic times. You're going to have the wisdom necessary to make hard, difficult decisions. You're going to have the humility needed when you succeed, right? You're going to have the the grace needed when you fail. You're going to have the self-control needed to to be a one-woman man for the rest of your life. All of these things, this is what it means to build a house on the rock. And those who don't, here's, here's the deal. Those who don't, who just who don't go to Jesus to find out how to live, but go to the world or go to their feelings or go to the newest self-help book, they won't have the ability to build a life that can withstand the storms. Now just think about it like this. I'm gonna talk about, think about Jesus says, you heard it, heard that it says, uh, don't commit adultery. That's what the law says, right? Yeah, step one, don't commit adultery. Cool, I haven't done that, great. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery in his heart. Boom, Jesus takes the standard up. Now, what's he trying to do? He wants us to be a one-woman man. He wants us to understand how difficult it is to be a one-woman man, how high that standard is, how we fall short, how we need to seek the grace of God in order to do that. And look, this cycle creates a man who can, who can withstand the sexual pressures of the world. See the impossible standard, strive for that standard, fail, repent, go back to Jesus, pursue my wife. That's the cycle. All right, now listen, that, you know what that does? That unites you to Jesus, the foundation, and that unites you to your wife, right? That brings unity, that brings a cohesiveness. But listen, here's what happens. If I disregard that advice and go, that's old. What's wrong with pornography? There's nothing wrong with pornography. Pornography does all kind of damage to your own soul, all, all kind of damage to your own mind. Studies are out there right now that it literally rewires the neural pathways of your brain. Think of your brain as a forest. You go to a forest and walking through a forest is really difficult, right? Your brain doesn't like to do difficult things. So what does your brain do? It makes pathways. It creates bike paths, bike trails, hiking trails through the woods. So so what happens when you walk up to a woods and you see a trail? What do you do? You take the trail. Why? It's It's the path of easiest resistance. That's what your brain does all the time. It creates neural pathways. And guess what? It creates neural pathways to pleasure. Because your brain's like, how do I get to pleasure? I want to enjoy something, <laughs> right? And so it, what porno- basically, if you're following Jesus' way, those neural pathways lead to God and your wife sexually, right? That's God-ordained means. But if you're following the world's way, that, those pathways lead to sin. Those pathways lead to destruction, right? And 
you'll never have the self-control that you need that, that you can only get through, through the gospel and through Jesus Christ. And what happens then is that brings chaos into your life. You've got all these neural pathways to, to sexual pleasure or to, 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 to fun, and then you find a wife and you want to get married. Okay, great. But now you've got all these paths going through the woods that are inappropriate, that are in different means. And now you literally don't have the ability to not look at the pornography. Or it's very, very, very difficult, not that you don't have the... Or when somebody new enters your life, somebody, some new assistant or somebody new enters your life, she might, she might, that pathway to pleasure might be a lot easier there than with your wife. And what does that do? Then now we're talking about divorce and, we're, and that's literally breaking your life apart. You can't weather the storm of temptation. Do you see that? That's just one simple example, one simple illustration that not building your life on the rock, it cannot withstand the storms of life, right? It cannot withstand the temptations of life. All right, let's keep going here. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Now, this is funny. The Greek word there is is, uh, moro. What do you think we get? What, what word do we get from that? Moron. That's right. Jesus said, the moron builds his life on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now I want us to flip over to James, the brother of Jesus, James chapter 1. <clears throat> and... My fingers are cold. <laughs> My fingers, well, these little thin pages. James 1, 11 through 12. For the sun rises <clears throat> with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. We see here that the sun, like just as the sun comes up and it withers the grass, that the riches of, 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 a, of a fool, the riches of a man who doesn't build his life on the foundation of Jesus Christ are going to fade away like that. Now here's, now why did I bring that up? <clears throat> What's interesting to me is, if you're standing back and you're looking at, in the story of Jesus here on these two men that are building, what's, what's actually surprising to me is how similar they look. So just think about it. You walk up to a housing development and there's two houses being built side by side. And by this point, the foundations are already done. You get there and guess what? Both of them are framing both of them are putting on roof. Both of them are siding. Both of them are running electrical. Both of them are put, you know, putting in windows and putting on siding and doing all this stuff. And guess what? When they get done, both of them look pretty similar. That's the story Jesus is telling. He's not saying like the rich man is out there building some huge mansion and the Christian's over here building a shack in the woods, Right? Nor is he saying the Christian through their impeccable character are building this impeccable home while the, 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 the sinner's out there, you know, making a shack. He's like, no, actually, 
when a sinner and a Christian are building their life from the outside, both of them look pretty similar. But when are you going to find out when the storm comes? When the storm comes. And it's my belief, there's all kind, obviously there's all kinds of stores, storms. There's the temptation that this world brings us. That's a storm. Literally, when, you've, when you get tempted to sin, that's a mental storm in your mind and in your soul, right? There, we have storms in career. You pick a career, you choose a pathway, and then the market crashes, right? Oh man, that's a storm. We're in all kinds, I mean, we're in all kinds of different storms right now. And it's my belief that if we are built, and I think it's what Jesus is teaching, that if we root our life in Christ, if we're building this, this church, our career, our family, our life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the church is actually going to thrive in this chaotic season. Right? <clears throat> All right. So, many times the foundation that we've been built, building on isn't really revealed until the storm. And so sometimes when things aren't going well for us, when we're giving into temptation or, or when we've, we're failing in our marriage or we're failing in our parenting or we're failing, guess what? We, it's not an opportunity to feel sorry for ourselves. It's an opportunity that God's using to reveal, oh, you've been building on a faulty foundation. You actually haven't been building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, this is true in our life, but it's also, here's a big word, eschatologically true. So at the end times, Jesus is literally going to reveal what was your life built on. Was it built on Jesus Christ or was it built on your own success? Was it built on your own wisdom? Was it built on the ways of the world? And that's why he says at the, at the last judgment, he's gonna, those on, our, on his right, he's going to welcome in. They've built on the foundation of Jesus Christ and those not. They're gonna, he's going to say, depart from me, okay? So here's the next question. Okay, how? How do I do that? I think it's a good idea. How do I do that? So that's, that's the, this is the practical piece of this this morning. Uh, one, we, we talked about a little bit last week or last time, is in order to put the words of Jesus to action, you've actually got to know the words of Jesus, right? Now listen, that might seem really simple, but for some of you, this, this um, should offer you great hope. If you didn't grow up in the church, if you haven't been a student of the scriptures, you just don't know what you don't know. And when you don't know what you don't know, you make all kinds of mistakes, right? So it should be an encouragement, all right? God's give, God gives me grace. He's put me in a men, a group of men, a church, that loves the scriptures, a group of men that understand the scriptures or want to pursue to understand the scriptures. And so now it's time to get after it and try to, and time to learn what the scriptures have to say about following Jesus. Um, now here's, I wanted to give us a real practical two-step approach to knowing the scriptures, all right? As you read the Bible, there's basically, I mean, this is very simple, okay? When you're reading the Bible, there's two things that you need to look for, Okay? One is called law. Anytime the Bible tells you to do something, you can say, that's a law. That's what God's telling me to do. Now, why? He's pointing me to the good life. He's pointing me to the blessed life. He's pointing me to a life that withstands the storms. When he's telling me 
to only pursue my wife, he's not taking away freedom or taking away joy. He's protecting me from the storms of life. When he's telling me to not be a lover of money, he's not doing that because he's greedy and he wants 10% of my, of my income. He owns it all anyways, morons, right? Like that's what he said to myself. He owns it all anyways. He doesn't need 10% back, right? He's doing it because my heart gets attached to money. And guess what? Money is lost really easy in this world. Storms, politics, people in all, our money can leave our hands and if our heart's attached to it, we get crushed, right? So Jesus is giving us a lesson in the good life when we read the law. The Ten Commandments, every time you read the Bible and it says, don't covet, don't steal, think of that as the law. Now listen, here's, here's the problem. Don't read that and go, if I don't do this, God won't love me. Or don't read the law and go, this is how I get into the relationship with God is by obeying this. No, 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 no. Because there's this whole other category in the, in the Bible from the Old Testament to the New and it's, we just call it gospel. It's gospel. Somebody tell me the difference between gospel and law. Boom! Love it. I'm waking people up. The gospel is what we do. Oh, I'm sorry. No. The law is what we do. I, that was heresy right there. So just please delete that from your minds. <clears throat> the law is what we do or should do. The gospel is what has been done. How many guys, you, in your mind, you, you, have all the, you have a lot of things that you know you should be doing? Do you guys have that? Man, I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I should be doing this. I should be doing that. That list of shoulds. Now listen, if you're young, you might not have those lists of shoulds. You just wake up and you're like, video games sounds good today. <laughs> right? But as you mature and you realize what it takes to be a good man, you realize the law, you, the shoulds pile up. The shoulds will crush you. They're meant to crush you. And when you're crushed, you go to the gospel. And you learn what has been done perfectly on your behalf. Now listen, this is not just like a Bible thing that we teach in, in, in church. This is how you read the Bible. So when I read the Bible and I see anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, right, is committing adultery and he might as well pop, pop his eyes out, right? I go, hmm, that's what I should be doing. Like Job, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a woman with lust. That's what, and you know what? I gotta be honest, I failed that. So that's not describing me, the perfect man, like I'm somehow a righteous man. Who's that describing? Jesus. That pick, Jesus is telling a story about Jesus. He's the only one who could let a prostitute worship him at his feet and not lust, not lust over it, right? And so when Jesus gives me a command not to lust, it is both a command, it's the law that I should aspire to, but it also points me back to him who actually fulfilled it for me and gives me his righteousness as a gift of grace. Guys, if you can't read the Bible like this, you will either become legalistic arrogant, mean-spirited, cold, or you'll just be bored with the Bible because, or you just push away from it because all the laws, oh, it's just so much. I have so many shoulds in my life. I don't need any more shoulds. We've got to be able to apply the gospel as we're reading the Bible. So law, gospel, law, gospel, all right? So 
Very simple, how to read the scriptures. And when I'm reading the gospels in the, with, or when I'm reading the scriptures with that lens, it spurs me to worship Jesus. I come out of my Bible reading not feeling confident in how awesome I am, right? But, but how awesome Jesus is and how good Jesus has been to me. Okay, now here's the next piece that I want, the, the hard piece. How do I take the gospel, <clears throat> this gospel lens that God has given me, how do I take that with me into the world and get to work? That's the question. This idea of Jesus, the law, here's what I should be doing, here's what I need to be doing, and the gospel, here's what God has done for me. How do I take that reality out into the world? Because there's a lot of people that go, listen, Justin, I get the gospel, yeah, it's fun, but the gospel doesn't motivate me like that self-help speaker does on Facebook. So there's men, because they desire to be successful and they desire to build a successful life or maybe just wealthy life, they wake up every morning and they don't go to the scriptures. They go to YouTube to watch a motivational clip of some motivational speaker. And that gets them out of bed and that motivates them to go crush their day or do whatever they got to do. And when they hear the gospel, they don't know how to take the gospel with them out into the workplace or into their family or into their personal life. So open up to 1 Corinthians 15. First <clears throat> Corinthians fifteen, verse ten. This is the Apostle Paul. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, <clears throat> though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. All right. I want us to see how the gospel changes the way we work. First thing I want us to take a note of or see is you are not your work. Okay, it's the first thing we need to see. The Apostle Paul says what? Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You are not classified or defined by your profession or your professional success and failure. That's the first thing we've got to see. The world, one of the reasons the world works so hard is because they're working for an identity. They're working for approval. They're working for acceptance. And they say, if I get the PhD, I'll know that I'm somebody, right? If I get my name on the law firm, I know that I'm somebody. If I get into that neighborhood or that house or that car, then I know that I'm somebody. The Christian's modus operandi is completely upside down to that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. The apostle literally says, I get my identity, who I am from God by grace. I'm not out there trying to earn it or achieve it, okay? Now, why is this good news? It's good news because here's the reality of our world. If you're successful, your professional success goes to your head most of the time. And you're arrogant and you look down on others 
and you separate yourself from the poor and from those who can't succeed. But here's the other thing. If you go out there and you try it and you, and you fail, professional failure or familial family failure, failure tends to go to your heart and it crushes you, Right? You feel like a loser, you feel like a failure, you feel like nobody loves you, you feel like you wasted your life. So that's the, that's the reality. When you're out there trying to build an identity and create an identity and become somebody, right? Like Rocky Balboa. I just gotta go 15 rounds so I know I'm not a bum. That's what he was doing. 15 rounds proved he wasn't a bum. That's what his whole identity was wrapped up in that, right? Forget about the brain damage later on. I'm just, I don't wanna be a bum right now, Right? The gospel is different. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Listen, you could say it like this. I am before I do. I am before I do. Identity comes before behavior. It's not work to earn. It's receive it. It's been given to you. Now live out of it. This is the, so simple to talk about, guys, and this is one of the most difficult concepts to actually live. When you're functioning out of this identity, someone can critique your work and you don't get immediately defensive because you've so identified with your career or your work that you become touchy and sensitive about it. Your wife can even criticize you and you don't get offensive. You're offended and bitter because by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay. Secondly, I want us to see that the grace of God is not in vain, he says. Right? 15.10. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. That means it wasn't wasted on him. That, that grace had a purpose in his life. That when he received an identity from Jesus, he was meant to go and live out of that identity. Right? Ephesians talks about by grace you've been saved and, and it's not your own work. It's, it's, it's all a work of God, right? And we're to receive it. But then it says to do the works prepared beforehand that we're to walk in. Right? That the grace we receive, the identity we receive for Jesus is not just to be just set on and go, ooh, I'm, 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 I'm forgiven. Now I can live the rest of my life however I want to. No, it's meant to produce works in us. God's work, God has work for you to do in this world. He gave you grace so you could be actually empowered to do good in the world. Now third, when I'm properly oriented to the grace of God, I will be productive. Look at, look at verse 10. On the contrary. So stop. There's a teaching out there. Some people just call it greasy grace, like a greasy grace teaching. Just receive grace, baby. Jesus is just grace, baby. Receive grace. That's all it's about. Jesus loves you no matter what you're doing, no matter how you're building your life. Jesus loves you. Now listen, there is a truth. There's, a, there's a, a truth in that. He loves us when we're yet sinners. He brings us to life. But he doesn't give grace in vain. He doesn't give grace so that sin can abound. Right? He gives grace so we can get to work. He gives grace so we can build a church. He gives grace so we can build a family. He gives grace so we can build a life that weathers the storms of this life. And what, what, is the, what does the Apostle Paul say? The Apostle said, I received this grace. It wasn't in vain. 
and I worked harder than all of them. That the grace he received made him hyperproductive. Right? Gave him more discipline than Jocko. That's in the Greek, if you didn't know. Right? It's not really, but you know what I mean. Guys, the world doesn't have a corner on productivity. The world doesn't have the market on self-discipline. The gospel of Jesus Christ, grace should wake you up with a purpose in the morning. Grace should put steel in your spine. Grace should give you a mission and a vision for the world where you're stoked to wake up. You're stoked to disciple your kids. You're stoked to love your wife. You're stoked to build something that's going to last in this world. The gospel should do that for us. For properly oriented to the grace of God, I will be productive. He says, I worked harder than any of them. Now, this is a difficult concept sometimes to get across. And because I ha- I'm i an eight if on the Enneagram, if you know that. And so I crave intensity and I crave to get after something that's been the worst. Someone asked me, what's been the worst part of your throat injury this past six weeks? And I just said, I just miss intensity, right? CrossFit is intense. Jiu-Jitsu is intense. Preaching is intense. Call of Duty is intense. <laughs> You're like, I miss intensity, right? But that can often get misinterpreted. Some people, so when I'm talking about productivity and getting after it, sometimes I can be like, and somebody says, well, I don't feel like that. I wake up and I just, and I'm like, okay, is it my personality? Or is it, you know, what's the the gap here? And so I wanted Dr. Alex to now put some flesh on this and tell a little bit of his story because he ha- he's a nine, right? Still a nine these days, Alex? I think so. Think so. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's a nine, which is a lot more chill. And uh, when we first told his story, we, we said he was the cool cat uh, because he just <laughs> didn't like anything to phase him, you know? Uh, and so when he... When he, I'm not going to tell his own story because he, he came out of some of this using other things to pump him up and to motivate him and to get him out there to be a business owner. So I'm going to let him tell that story. We'll come up here and you can uh, ask questions. Cool? All right. Well, I first just want to say I'm, I'm thankful to be here. I'm actually supposed to be in Tennessee right now. I was scheduled to go to a conference with my wife, but some things happened where uh, we lost some sitters and that was not able to happen. Um, so when Justin actually just texted me this morning and said, hey, I don't really have much to say today, so can you fill some time by coming up and telling your story? <laughs> At first I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. And I'm supposed to actually be listening to people speak instead of, instead of speaking. Um, but I'm thankful because what it did, and he, didn't, he let me know a couple days ago. He didn't let me know this morning. But what it did for me is it actually made me start to think about my story in a different way, and it made me start to think about, you know, what has God done in me? Which I think is, is something that, if the first thing that I had to give it to you guys today, it would be that, right? That's a, that's a struggle for me. I don't tend to do that too much, I actually think about what has God, where has God brought me from, what has he done in my life and, and through my life, and I would guess that that's probably very similar for a lot of you men out there. We don't spend enough time actually just thinking about 
where I'm at right now might not be where I want to be at, but it's actually far greater than where I was at before, right? God's done a lot of good work in me that's made me into looking closer like Jesus Christ than I was before. And I would say do that, spend some time doing that, especially if you don't have anybody in your life that's bringing that to your awareness, which is also important. So again, if there's fight clubs in here, if there's men that are in MC together, also something that I would charge you guys with is, is pointing that out in, in other men, actually evidence of grace, of, of stuff that God's done. Um, but yeah, so hopefully this will just be a, a blessing to you guys. Sometimes it's hard for me to imagine that um, I could actually get up here and, and speak something that would be a blessing for you because I can look at in myself and again just see that God has a lot of work to do still. Um, but I think, again, my story, like Justin said, could be helpful for some of you. I think what he wants me to do is just kind of, like he said, kind of put some flesh on how do, what has God done in my life that's led me to being more productive, led me to be more productive in a meaningful way, I would say. Um, really what I think he did is he said, who is the guy in our church that maybe is, is probably the, the furthest from who you would think would actually be successful? And then... That means that Jesus actually did it, right? That means that Jesus actually did it. And, and why, that, why that's the case? Why that's the case is because if, if you don't know me, he already mentioned I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram 9, uh, which just means you're kind of a cool cat. You don't let things kind of ruffle your feathers. Um, slothfulness or laziness is really something that you're prone to. Uh, if you're familiar with the DISC profile, I'm, not, I'm very low on the D, so I'm not driven. I'm an S. I just like to kind of play that supportive role. Um, there's also this, um, I don't know, assessment tool, I guess you'd call it, called the MIA, which actually assesses your emotional intelligence. And one of the things that's on that that they track is how emotionally charged are you to actually go make things happen? How emotionally driven are you um, to go be productive? And there's a scale from zero to 100. Obviously, people that are doing this are, are very successful people, and they're you know, anywhere from 70 to 100. They just have this drive to go do things. Well, when the guy had me do it, he was a coach of mine. What was your guess at what my score was? Zero. He said he'd never seen it before. He's had hundreds, hundreds of dudes do this, and he's never seen zero before. He thought that it was a glitch in the test. He called them and said, no, this is actually the case. So that's kind of who I am or who I was as far as just kind of my, my makeup, right, my, my What's what my been through my experiences in life and just kind of naturally who I am that that's what it is. Um, but what I'm assuming is is Justin obviously has seen something in me that has changed um, where I'm at now. Uh, obviously, those of you that are sacred, part of Sacred City, I'm one of the elders here, so one of the pastors here of Sacred City. Um, I have been married to my wife Emily for 15 years now, and I have six children. Tatum's my oldest, 16 years old. Um, and the rest of them are, are at home or w- with friends. Um, and then I have a couple businesses. So I have a, a chiropractic clinic um, that I've had for almost 10 years now. I recently started a gym, and I'm, I'm soon to working on starting another business of just health coaching and functional um, medicine coaching with, with people. So um, I'm doing a lot, right? There's a lot of productivity there um, that's happening. And I think, again, that's what he identified. But not only did he identify that there's productivity happening, but there's also this, this kind of story that led me to get to that coming from somebody who is, again, just not prone to productivity. So where I would go back to is kind of explaining why that's the case. And I came up with three things as I was thinking about it. Number one is my dad is very similar to me. He is 
if, if you called me the cool cat, he's the cooler cat. He is, if you've ever been around my dad, he's just kind of chill. You, you think he's sleeping half the time when, when he's just sitting there. And I mean, he's, he's a, he was a good dad in many ways. He was actually very resourceful in a number of different ways. But he kind of just, my kind of experience growing up is he was just always done enough, you know, for us to get by. He's kind of always did enough to be a dad, always did enough to pr- provide for the family, always did enough to be a husband to my mom. Um, it was never really above and beyond that. So I didn't necessarily see that happening. The second thing that I think goes into this is I was, as a kid, for sure, I was just kind of naturally gifted at things in comparison to other people. So in comparison to my classmates, in comparison to my siblings, and even, even my cousins, I could look at my cousins, um, just I, a lot of my cousins are criminals. Uh, I remember one of my cousins, we would go down to my grandma's um, for Sunday after I was, a, a, we went to a Catholic church, and we, after church we would go to my grandma's where all my family would be there. And, and most of the time, my cousin would have a police scanner with him because he wanted to hear if the police were going to come get him that particular day, right? So that's kind of the, the, the people that I was really growing up comparing myself to. And since I, was, I would get good grades, you know, I was successful in athletics, I, was, um, you know, I had a lot of friends, popularity stuff, I could compare myself to these other people and be like, well, if this is just kind of naturally how things work, you know, why would I need to actually think about my future? Why would I need to think about getting better? Why would I need to challenge myself um, to, to actually... See, see results. Results are already happening, again, in this kind of this small little world that I was in. And again, my, my, I could look to my siblings the same way. I have an older brother. Um, well, I have my, actually, a lot of other older siblings, but again, just didn't really see success as far as what we think, even a worldly um, view of productivity, didn't see a lot of that. And then my brother made a lot of mistakes growing up, so I could just kind of compare myself to him. See, actually, I, didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I am doing this where he's not doing it. So there was a lot of that just kind of coming in um, as I was growing up. And then the third thing is, is I wasn't trained properly, right? So of course, I wasn't raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I wasn't raised up in the way that I should go from a biblical perspective from, from my parents, but also just even a worldly perspective. I wasn't trained to actually look to the future and say, here's a goal that you should have and actually set this goal and, and go after this goal. I wasn't trained to listen to motivational speakers like he was talking about. So none of that stuff was really just happening in my life. But I would say from there, really it's just been kind of this slow drip of God providentially putting things in my life that has produced change. That started when I was in college. My junior year, I met Emily when I was a sophomore. We were in a sinful relationship throughout college. My junior year, she got pregnant with my son Tatum. And once that happened, that was kind of like the first time I was like, all right, I actually need to start caring about decisions that I'm making. I actually need to make smarter decisions than, than what I'm making, but I also now start, need to start thinking about the future, what's actually going to be happening in, in the future. Um, so I did what I felt like was the right thing to do, and I asked Emily to marry me. Thankfully, she said yes, and we got married a, a couple months after we graduated, back in 2005, graduated from, from school. Um, so, boom, I made a, a good decision, right? I, I started to, to make a change. But once we were married, I just really just kind of fell back into where I was at. So instead of actually saying, okay, I'm a married man now with a, a young child. We, we had plans to have other children. So now I need to start growing up more. I need to start figuring out how can I provide for my family? What, what do I need to do career-wise? All of these things. What I did is I was just like, Emily, what do you want to do for a career? Let's try to figure that out. And I just worked a labor job. I was a, a, in a construction company and worked labor making $10, $11 an hour. 
And I did that for like two years. That was actually after I tried to be a professional poker player online, which also did not work. <laughs> so I was just kind of like, hey, here's my, the mindset was, you know, I'll work, right? That's, I know that's right. That's a good thing. So I'll go and work. And, and it was hard labor. Um, but I, it wasn't like I'm doing this to learn something. I'm doing this to move forward. I was doing it because I just knew that was something that you had to do. And I was allowing my wife to then take the lead of providing for our family. And she was working third shift at a hospital. She was also studying to try to get into physician's assistant school. So she was kind of doing everything maybe that I should have been doing um, at that particular time. And I was just allowing it to happen. So again, you're starting to get to know kind of what has what Justin identified early on in our relationship and kind of what God's done to, to bring me out of this. But what happened was Emily tried to get in physician's assistant school a couple years, and she was just failing every time she would get there. So finally, she just gave up and said, you got to go do something. And I was like, okay, well, I don't really know what I want to do. We're living in Davenport. I have a biology degree. There's a chiropractic college here. Maybe I can get into chiropractic college. So I walk into Palmer and kind of show them my transcripts and show them what I, my undergrad and, and everything that they would need to see if I could get in. And the guy's like, I think this was, this was June, and he's like, yeah, you can start in July. I was like, let's do it. So I was like, again, because what, what did I think? I was like, well, there's something that has to be done, so I'm going to go do it. Not Again, I didn't know if it was a wise plan. I didn't have a plan moving on in the future. I was like, there's something that needs to be done. I'm going to go and do it. So I started chiropractic school, went through about a year where I just kind of focused on school, but it wasn't really until about a year into school where something changed. I had found an organization called Maximize Living. And this organization, I would say for the first time, I was, I was going to these conferences and I was hearing men speak. It really gave me a purpose for the first time. It really said, you know, there's, there's, some, there's important things of life. Life has meaning. And you can actually adopt this, this purpose that we have and be part of it and actually do something good for the world, actually make a change. So it's really the, the first time I was hearing this type of stuff. So I was just really attracted to it. So I was looking to these men as mentors. I would even say I idolize these men. And I was like, I want to be like these dudes. This is, these are the type of dudes that I want to be like. And I say, I, I use that as a part of, again, this kind of slow drip of God doing something. Because there was a lot of good that was in these men. It wasn't all good. But there was a lot of good that was in these men that I could take. And now, again, I'm, I'm being changed, right? I'm actually being changed into something that I think... God would want me to be, but it was also where I heard the gospel for the first time. This wasn't a Christian organization, but most of the men were Christians, and I would go and I would just spend time with these guys, and these guys were reading their Bibles, they were talking about God, so I was like, okay, if these dudes I looked up to, they're interested in God, they're interested in reading the Bible, then I should start doing that sort of stuff. So there was just, again, change that was slowly starting to happen, but there was also a lot of bad that that came with that. Now I had a plan in life. I actually had goals in life, but those goals were, I'm going to be like these dudes who were millionaires, and they thought that they had every answer to the world's problems. They basically thought if we could get people under chiropractic care, if we could get people eating well, if we could get people exercising, if we could get people to radically change their health, all problems in the world would go away. And that's what I adopted. So that was kind of my gospel. I was just like, if you guys just knew what I knew about health and you followed, you started to implement this stuff into your life, then the world would change. And think about how attractive that would be, right? If, if, this is, if that was true, 
if people's lives would change, if the world would change, if everybody would do that, that's attractive to actually be a part of that particular purpose. So that's the direction that I went. I decided, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but chiropractic was started in Davenport, Iowa. So the Palmers, the, the, the school is, is named after the, the Palmers, D.D. Palmer and B.J. Palmer. And that was kind of B.J.'s um, mission. He, he thought chiropractic was going to change the world, so he wanted to educate the world on chiropractic. There's actually still even radio stations in the Quad Cities that B.J. Palmer started, and they're named after chiropractic. He, he um, W.O.C., radio, is Wonders of Chiropractic. That's what that, that actually comes from. So again, there's this huge vision that I heard and I was attracted to, and I wanted to go after it. So I started to actually do that, but then there was also this piece of like, like Pastor Justin was talking about, of there's these worldly things that I'm going after. I thought that I was going to go and radically change the Quat Cities. I thought I was going to come back here and, and, and pick up where B.J. Palmer left off and get everybody under chiropractic care, keep, teach everybody about health. And as I'm doing it, I'm going to, again, be a, a multimillionaire. I'm going to start all these businesses. I'm going to do all this radical stuff. But it was all for, again, just selfish gain, right? It was all for selfish reasons. And within that, I was also willing to sacrifice everything else in my life. I was willing to sacrifice my marriage with Emily. I was willing to sacrifice raising up my, my kids the, the right way. So the next, I would say, kind of drip that happened in my life where God tried to bring me out of this is where I met this dude. So I walked into a gym one day primarily because I knew that there was people in gyms that cared about their health. So this is kind of low-hanging fruit, right? I could go into this gym and say, you know, these people already care about their health. I'll just get them into my office and my practice will continue to grow. And, and, and actually one of the people that I met there first was Justin and his wife um, was, was pregnant at the time and she needed chiropractic care. And they actually started in my office and I'm like, look at how well this plan is going, right? Just, just walk into the gym. And, and then, but then I was like, well, man, this guy's a pastor and he has a church where now I can go to have some more marketing opportunities with this guy. So that, I thought I was kind of basically invested in, in this relationship with him for those purposes. And what I didn't know is Justin obviously had a, also a purpose in, in the relationship <laughs> that, that we had. Um, so what happened with Justin is a, a huge part of the story. Uh, Justin obviously seen something in me. Uh, if you guys have been around Justin at all, um, especially in a close relationship with him, if he sees something in you that's not in alignment with the gospel, right? If he sees something in you that, that should be changed, he's going to say something about it, right? He's not going to let it sit there. He's going to bring it out into the open. Most of the time in love, right? Most of the time in a gentle way, that's what he's going to do. Wasn't always the case. But that was kind of the next four or five years of my life. I was in Fight Club with Justin. I was an MC with Justin. I was working out at the gym that he had started pretty much every day with Justin. We would do cigar nights. So I was just again, around him all the time. So of course, there's just um, specific training that was happening there, right? He would see things in my life and say, hey, this doesn't seem to be in alignment with the gospel, so let's talk about this, right? He would say, let's talk about how you're leading your family. Let's talk about how you're leading your wife. Let's talk about your business and, and how that's going. Let's talk about how you're parenting your kids. Everything really in life, he would be able to see something in me that was either I was doing out of ignorance, right? I just didn't know that this was how you were supposed to act, this is how you were supposed to respond um, to the truth, or he could just see kind of sinful ways in me, right? He could see where I'm not believing the gospel. He would see where I'm looking 
um, in other places for my identity. But in addition to that, just kind of, I would say, a kind of a personal one-on-one evangelism or discipleship that was happening with Justin, um, I was also investing in these other things, right? I was an MC leader in training. I was coming to the MC training nights that we used to have. I was coming to the cigar nights that, that he would host, right? I went through Porterbrook. Kind of all of these kind of things that we have in place at Sacred City, the structure of leadership that we have in place at Sacred City, I was actually stepping into, right? So where does that come from? Well, again, similar to what happened with Maximized Living, where I would see these dudes that I looked up to, and I would see this, this mission that they were on that I was attracted to. Well, when I first actually not heard the gospel necessarily and responded in faith, but it was when I met this guy that was, would, would actually teach me what does life look like when you're believing the gospel, right? What does life look like for a Christian man who not only just believes the gospel, goes to church on Sundays and, and hopes he gets into heaven, but actually sees that, well, now that you're a disciple of Christ, now what you're called to is actually to go be fruitful and multiply, right? To actually make disciples who are going to make other disciples. So now I had a purpose, right? I had a, I would say, a, a better purpose. I would actually um, have something that I look forward to that was in alignment with the kingdom of God, that was in alignment with what Jesus was already doing. And so now there was kind of proper motivation behind that, right? So there was, again, lots of slow change that was happening that, that God was doing. So I, I guess a, one way of saying it is back to those three things that I, that I missed kind of growing up, and one of them being the training. I would say the training that I was supposed to really have when I was younger, I was starting to get when I was in my 30s, Right? And I'm only 37, so I'm not, not very far into that training. So like I said, there's a lot of things that actually need to, to happen still, but I'm starting to now get that training that was supposed to be happening, so that's kind of what's producing this fruit, right? That's what's making me into this man who can be productive, who can actually start things, and not just start things, but start purposeful things, but actually start purposeful things that, like Pastor Justin said, that are going to last, right? That are going to actually have an impact on this world that's a good impact. That's a gospel impact. So that's kind of, I guess, where I, I don't know how uh, long you, you want me to go here, but that, I would say where I'm at now, and probably the biggest change that's happened is he mentioned the cool cat. Where I was at, and I still get to these places a lot of the times, when I'm a cool cat, I don't really care about anything else except myself, right? I don't have compassion for other people. I don't have a concern for how I'm loving my wife. I don't have concern about what's happening with my kids. I don't have concern for my patients or, 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 or the clients that I have in these other areas. Um, I would say what's happened to, one of the bigger things that happened to me is that's, that's changing, right? I, I have a care now for, for people. I have a compassion for, for people. I, I, wanna, I have a love for people that, that, I, that I haven't really had you know, you know, throughout, throughout my life. And why is that the case? Well, again, because... I am believing the gospel, right? I'm actually seeing the gospel on a daily basis in, in different ways, in better ways, and, and it actually continues to change me. So that, as he mentioned, this kind of cycle of knowing what the law of God says, knowing what I've been called to as a man, right? To, to love and to lead my wife, to, to love and to lead my family, to actually go make things happen in the world for the kingdom of God. I see that, I fail at that, but then I remember I'm, that's not what, saves me, right? That's not what gives me my identity. Actually, 
that production that he's talking about is not, that doesn't merit me salvation. That doesn't merit me eternal life with, with God. But because I already have that, because I've already been changed by grace, and now I am this loved and, and forgiven son, this accepted son, which is, I didn't get into that, but that was uh, primarily why I was that cool cat, right? I felt like if I wasn't the cool cat and I actually uh, came outside of myself and, and, and showed people really who I am, then I wouldn't be loved and I wouldn't be accepted, right? But if I can actually stay there first with that belief that I am loved and accepted, but like you said, that's not, that doesn't keep me from doing things, right? Now because of that, now I actually go and do these things that God's called me to do as a man. Now I actually go and from belief in the gospel and from seeing that Christ is Lord over my life. Now my life isn't lived for these other reasons, right? Now my life isn't lived to go be a millionaire. My life isn't lived to go, you know, change the planet through through chronic disease and think that I'm the one or I'm this part of this group that's going to do that. I still do those same things, right? I still believe health is important. I still believe health issues are a big problem in the world that needs to be addressed. I still believe that actually being productive and starting businesses is good for the Quad Cities. So I have that peace in me that wants to see change happen in the Quad Cities, but it's coming from a completely different reason than it used to come from before, right? It's coming from this belief that I'm a loved and forgiven son because of belief in the gospel, and now that sends me out to go actually do something productive, right? To actually go do something to make a kingdom impact where God has me. And he has me right now, owning two businesses with six children, with a wife that I've had for 15 years and who's an elder at Sacred City Church. So that's a lot to do, right? That would wear me out. And sometimes it does wear me out. But that would wear me out. That would wear me down if I didn't start here, right? If I didn't have this belief that I, that I am who I am by the grace of God. I am who I am because of what Christ has done for me. Yeah? Awesome. Stay up here. We'll talk. <clears throat> All right. So let's talk. Let's just, uh, we're cold? <laughs> it's a little chilly this morning. Um, any, any questions that, any questions that we've got? Any uh, questions, comments, concerns? How do I do that? What's the next step in my life? One of the things that I see right away is just the providence of God in his, the providence of God over the story and getting him where he needs to be and getting the right word at the right time. Um, I remember <laughs> Alex was telling about his story of chiropractical change the world and that's the only thing we need and da, 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 da. And I listened to that. I sat there and he, he did the whole spiel. And he's like, what do you thought? And I go, uh, what about sin? He said, well, I don't know. I mean, think about that. I'll get back with you. <laughs> I was like, could you adjust? Right, this is my sin bone. Can you adjust it? <laughs> I need to adjust that one. Well, I, Worldview had a few holes in it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, well, I'll speak to first, and then he can say something. I would say the reason that happened is because he did it, right? He, from what we talked about, he actually went out and he found somebody that he was in relationship with, right? Where he was at, he was just going to the gym. 
he met somebody at the gym, and then he said, here's somebody who I'm going to invest in. Here's somebody I'm going to be on mission to. So, yeah, I think we probably can do maybe a better job of, of providing structure for that to be able to happen. But I think it's also just men seeing that that's a need and men going actually doing what they're, what they're supposed to do, being on mission. And so we're all called to do that. But he said one-on-one, but honestly, 99% of our discipleship wasn't just one-on-one. It would be like, we, let's start a fight club, and then we're gonna, we, we brought in two other guys. And, and we, it was almost always in a fight club. But then it was, there was always just like the willingness to step into certain situations when, so he, like, when he first got married, how many, or when we were met, how many kids did you have at that time? Yeah. Three. That was before we got competitive. <laughs> no. uh, three. He had three. He had three, but he had, um, but Emily was like working at the office and she was like, it was kind of the cool cat still. Like she was working at the office, running everything there kind of, and, and then had the kids at home and it just wasn't going well. And so some of those conversations were just like, dude, you need to lead your office, not your wife. Let your wife take care of your kids and take care of that. And just those little conversations. It wasn't just like want me and him one-on-one all the time. It was in, small, in a small group most of the time, like in a fight club type of situation. But it was willing to have those tough conversations. Yeah. And hopefully that's, the church is built like that. So, you know, yeah. missional communities, huddles, everything is like supposed to kind of trickle down in a sense. We're, we're all yeah. doing those things. Yeah, and, and I would say, again, by the grace of God, he was willing to have those tough conversations, but I was willing to stay and listen to those tough conversations, right? <laughs> yeah. I wasn't running. You know, I could have found another church. Easy. You know, I would come and, and he's... <laughs> my, my, my practice would have been more successful had Emily stayed, at least in the short term, been more successful had Emily stayed working for me. So I could have said, what are you talking about? My wife should stop working in the office and, and stay home, right? And I could have left and, and just found another church, but I didn't. I listened to him, and I received that, and of course prayed through it, talked through it, and, and then took action. About to do some burpees in, up here. It's freaking cold, bro. Cold. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And when you have that secret thing on the side, and you think that God's going to bless your marriage bed, you know, that's not the case. You know, you're still, you can still be saved and salvation's there and all that, but to be fruitful, you know what I mean? It's the, it's the fight clubs. It's, it's good. You know, but yeah, because, you know, how I, you know, wanted to start to walk out of that sin was when it was brought to my attention that, you know, this is, this is going to damage everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's going to put a black eye on your home and your ministry and all that. So, you know, I definitely appreciate you. Like, we're going to talk about sex. And then you went into that one sting that really will, you 
you know, just affect that whole marriage bed. Yeah. You know, so that, that was important. Yeah, so on that, the one of the biggest lies, you know, I know some of you guys listen to Joe Rogan and stuff. One of the biggest lies is pornography doesn't hurt anyone. It's the biggest. I, 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 when someone says it, I'm like, that's, I hear it like heroin doesn't hurt anyone. That's, that's what I hear when I hear that. Pornography doesn't hurt anyone. What are you talking about? Like, what do you think? Why is there so many unwed mothers? Right? Pornography, sexual morality. That's why. Why is there so much brokenness in our world and divorce and adultery and molestation of children, pornography. Like, why is it so hard for us to be in a relationship with another woman? Pornography, because we can't treat her like a sister. We have to treat her like a sexual object or we think of her like that. Pornography is, is, is ruining our culture, yeah. right? And I'm, I'm not saying it's easy because, I mean, I, this is, when I, when I was, when I was, I found a Playboy when I was like 12, year old, 12 years old in a fort in the woods. I found a fort in the woods, opened up a box and went, what is that? <laughs> right? And my life was changed from that moment on. Now it's, you have anything you want in, the, yeah. in your pocket. And it is so hard. And not just that, not just like, they're after you. They're after, I get links sent in Chinese to my phone. I had a Chinese, I'm like, what the heck is a Chinese link? I'm like, what? I click on it, oh, close it. How they got it, I have no idea. Same way I get political, <laughs> I get political texts. I'm like, who got this? Where are you getting this? They're, at, they're after us. They're after our attention. They're after our heart. And so it, it is one of the, the most difficult things to deal with and one of the most pertinent topics for us all to talk about. So, and it's critical to our discipleship. Because one thing it does, pornography and immorality takes our confidence. It takes our strength. It's sat, Proverbs talks about it saps the strengths of young men. And you, you don't feel confident to step in and make a disciple if you know what you've been doing, you were, what you're looking at last night. You don't feel confident loving your wife or leading your children. You feel like a, a fraud. You feel like a failure, right? So it's one of the reasons it, it, it's so detrimental to us. So that was a little sidebar. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, and then Justin, your message last weekend was convicting to me in terms of what you were talking about true compassion and love for others. And, where, and, and not that God's word isn't sufficient because it's in there, but what is, I mean, could you maybe go in, like, what are some things that have kind of shifted the paradigm as far as that goes? I feel like I'm, with the message, it's, that's where I'm starting to go to, where I've never really tried to change the way I look at things, look at people. That's good. Let me repeat the question on here just so anybody's listening on a podcast can, can get it. So the question is, um, he's also um, emotionally broken like you. And, uh, <laughs> and, and he doesn't have much compassion or love naturally. And, um, and he knows scripture calls him to be merciful and compassionate. And so what, what are some things that have happened to you to... Uh, make you more human. So. <laughs> Something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I guess the, the, the two things that I would think about is, um, 
Well, the one would be just being consistent with knowing that that's where you're at and then being aware of when you fail at it and then br bringing that to God, right? Repentance and faith. That's, scripture talks about how that, that changed us, right? As we behold the glory of the Lord, we, we're, we're changed from one degree of glory to the next. So it's, again, I'm not where I need to be specifically with compassion and, and love for people and then repentance and actually looking to Christ because he did do that. He is that, right? He fulfilled that for you. And then you're, you're that something changes in you there, right? But then also I would say constantly reading maybe different ways of, uh, from, I would say from different dudes of how they struggle with the same thing and how they're, how they're compassionate. So of course, Justin was, was instrumental in my discipleship, but what, one of the things that his discipleship did for me is now I can go and receive from other people, right? Because I can actually filter some of the things that are, that are bad out, uh, but be also be able to then now be, in, in a way, discipled by these men. So just constantly be reading, this is, what, this is again, what God has asked me to be um, in, in, in different ways of, of how, how God's asked me to be that way, and then going back to, to repentance and faith and, and, and loving God for, for how he's been it for you, you know? Mm -hmm. That, that's how change happens. And, but you have to be, you have to be open in, in, I guess, confession that you're not that, right? And, and that, that's definitely where I'm still at. You know, I would say God has changed me. He's brought me to care for people more, to love people more. But that's still, I'm not like, you know, getting an A plus on that, that sort of thing. So it's still just being honest with where you're at and asking for, for God to change you. I don't know that's not the most practical advice, but that's, how we are changed, yeah. you know. And there, and there's, I would add a couple of things. One, like he was saying, seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus, what that means for this specific issue is seeing how compassionate and passionate Jesus is for you. Yeah. Like in the, the story of the Good Samaritan, he was the Great Samaritan is how I finished that. last. He came down your road and he took punishment on himself for you. He loves you that much. And at, the more you experience that love and that compassion from him, the more loving and compassionate you're going to be. And I remember one of the things that was kind of critical for the cool cat to die in a sense, or to be reborn, whatever you want to say. Part of that saying, tr trying to stay away is trying to look cool. And not in the, just like, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to be messed up. I don't want to do something wrong. I don't want to be messed up. And you've got to see how the gospel calls you into that. And it's okay to not be cool. And it's okay to mess something up. And it's okay. Because I remember when he first started coming out of that, he would, you know, it was like a kid learning to walk in a sense. Like that kid's walking around and its head is just taking it wherever it wants to go. And we're like, well, I guess that's called walking, but keep going. And he would like be emotional and it'd be like, what the, what was that? Right, well, he's, you know, he's learning how to be compassionate. He's learning how to be invested in another person. He's learning. And we're all that way in different, different areas that we're just learning to walk. And, and we have to be okay with falling down. And the father still goes, that was a good attempt. Back up. Try it again. Right? I would just to add to that is, and back to just kind of being open to seeing where you're not. Uh, my wife has been very good at that, showing me that <laughs> you're not compassionate or, or you do, it doesn't seem like you care about our family right now or it doesn't seem like you care about our relationship right now, which sucks to hear 
right? And, and a lot of the times I, I respond with, with pride there, but you have to constantly be hearing those things, again, where you don't measure up so that repentance can happen and belief in Christ can happen. Ben? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that's So Ben said, one of the things, a helpful thought is what does the redeemed me look like? So when Jesus gets my personality, what, how's he going to change it, tweak it, send it out? How's he going to, and I remember one time, so one time early on, he, invi- he, was, he invited me to come play flag football with him on this turkey, this turkey thing or something, whatever it's turkey called, ball. Tur- turkey bowl, right? And I, all I knew was the cool cat, right? That's all I knew. And then as soon as we stepped on the football field, I literally was like, what the freak just happened? He completely, what, come on, what's going on? I'm like, he, he became me. He's me. He's me right now. I'm like, what happened? And I was like, so that's in him. Somewhere that's in him. That need, he needs to be like that with his family. He needs to be like that with his business. He needs to be like, and I'm like, what? It was like just bizarre. And I think we're, we all have those pieces that are compartmentalized somehow where we, we know how to do it at work or we know how to, but we don't know how to take that and go home, right? Or we know how to do it at home and not at work. And we, and we got to figure out what is the redeemed me. So that's a good thing, that passion. How can I take that, be that guy at home, right? Or, or vice versa. Well, that would be his, a personal question for him on that one. I think it's going to, I think this is why we gospel one another. It could be story related, right? Like it could be, I mean, there's many, many of young men who get their attaboys from their father by being great in, in athletics. And that's the only time they've ever got approval. So that's why they go to sports. It's the easiest avenue for them to find approval. But there's also, we, I, so I, I don't know. I think, it's, I think it, that's literally your story. But the, but the point is to have a gospel relationship with a disciple, somebody who's discipling you that, you can, that they can bring that out and you can explore that and diagnose it, right? Like, what's, what's going on? And that's all it was. Most of the time it was like, dude, what's going on here? Why are, why are you like that at home? Or why are you, right? Why are you doing that or that? And then it's just, and there was never like clear, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, here's what, I don't know. It wasn't like a simple. It was relational and diagnostic and, asking the Lord to change and then walking away going, I don't know. Maybe it worked, maybe it won't. And that's why he says, when you look at your life now, you're like, am I different? And then you start thinking about, oh, well, wow, I am. But I'm still not where I want to be, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think for me, it was just attached to what I cared about. So throughout my life, it, athletics were there, competition was there. So I, I felt what it was like to not do well, and I felt what it was like to do well. So when I'm in that kind of environment, I, I'm able to then show passion or show emotion because I cared about the result. Um, so I think that was just something that was trained in me throughout life. So when, now it goes to, okay, your family, that wasn't really something that I was, I, w- I wouldn't say that I don't care about my family, but I guess the, the, the value that I should put on the care for my family just wasn't something that was really naturally in me. It was something that really needs to be trained and, and again, just reminded of the importance of raising up children, loving my wife, leading my wife, actually doing, make, having impact, kingdom impact. These are something that things that you hear, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't translate to actually changing then what you become. So, and that's, I'm still there, right? I'm still being changed into that. I'm still learning why I should care about my family, why I should care about other people and not just me, you know? So that's part of what, what God's done in me. Yes, sir. I'm going to ask the question here. So the question is, for those of us who weren't raised in the church or raised in a godly home um, and we're not in a godly marriage or family right now, how, what are some preemptive steps that we can take to learn how to lead a wife and love a, love a family? Yep. Uh, just to keep it simple, I would, of course, read as much as you can about what raising a, a family up looks like. And then I would get into, I would get around families who are, are striving to do that. So I would get around men who are, are striving to, to lead their families well, I would um, just try to spend as much time in the actual, in their life, right? So get around them at dinner time. Get, so is Johnny here? Oh. <laughs> one of the cool things that, so I used to be an MC with Johnny. One of the cool things that Johnny did is he, of course, asked Ben and Mackenzie Mosbach if he could just get into their life and spend time with them at bedtime. He wanted to learn what a man does with his children at bedtime. So Johnny would step into Ben putting his kids to bed, right? So just that, as far as practical things to do, I think just trying to, to get, obviously find men who are willing to invest in you like that, but trying to get around that as, as much as possible. Yeah, hopefully it didn't sound near as creepy as the way you just described it. <laughs> Did it sound creepy? Single, single guy, I'd like to be with you at bedtime. Um, no. <laughs> Johnny's not that creepy though. Uh, the, yeah, it was, it was it, putting his kid to bed. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't what he did. Uh, to clarify, it wasn't I just went over for bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny shows up with his PJs on. <laughs> ben, will you put me to bed? <laughs> yeah, spend a lot of time. And the first step, first step is being the godly man. So following Jesus building yeah. your life on the rock, building your life on the, on, in the, literally the Beatitudes, becoming that guy. So when the woman that God has ordained for you shows up, you're the man that can love her well and lead her, right? And then the rest, you're going to be learning by example and mistakes, a lot of, lot of mistakes. <clears throat> Other questions? Yeah. 
I'm dating this guy, but I'm looking into the face of another husband, man in my initial community, and there's just like no signs of life as far as a spiritual vibrancy, no real like, you know, going on and taking on life, taking on his own discipleship, the you know discipleship of his family, kind of like a future vision for his own life, um, and sometimes it can be hard to like take some like look at somebody and like how do I how do I get you from this point to How can you help? The question is, how can you help a guy who's really spiritually apathetic and just feels like he's stuck, doesn't really aspire to be a godly man or a godly husband or a godly leader? Um, <clears throat> you want me to answer? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I guess the, the, where I would go with that is you, you have to just be willing to invest in this guy. So you, you said you have this I guess I would say a goal or an objective for this man. He's, he's pretty apathetic. He doesn't seem to have spiritual vibrancy to live the way that he should be living as a man. I think you would somewhat have to say, okay, well, this is going to be a long road to, for him to actually get there. <clears throat> you would have to start with figuring out why that's the case. You know, have to dive into his life and, and try to figure out how to get him to open up to be able to figure out what is he believing currently so that then we can apply gospel truths and just see that as a win. Right now, he is actually believing the gospel. And so I, I tried to explain that in my story. Like it wasn't, you know, like I didn't come to this and hear Justin talk about what a man should be like. And then I said, okay, that's what I'm going to be. It was, I had to actually understand the gospel. I had to actually believe the gospel. And then I started to look like, okay, what does that mean for me loving my wife? What does that mean for me? parenting my children? What does that mean for me as far as a profession? Um, I think that that's where you would have to go with a, a dude like that. Um, <coughs> Excuse me. One of the things that, in Alex's story is you could see this theme of kind of being pulled into better things by a vision, by a big vision. So there was the chiropractic vision of changing the whole world and that kind of pulled him into its orbit and sent him out on a mission. Well, some, a, lot of, a lot of men, that's what I tried to do last time, and it's a little bit, what I love to do is try to inspire men by pulling them into a mission that's bigger than them, the redemption of all things. That's what, the, that's what the gospel is doing. A lot of men just need to be inspired and go, bro, you're made for so much more and you're gifted for so much more and you're called into so much more and you inspire them to get caught up into that vision. But then there's a lot of guys who just feel shame and guilt and they feel like a failure and they feel like they're not good enough and so then you just need that, the balm of the gospel to say, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're sent out, you can fail, it's okay to fail, get back up and get after it. So like he's saying, there's a lot of different p ways to apply the gospel to a person's heart that, that can get them out there. And then there's also some, sometimes that, like Alex said over and over and over, I stayed here, I stayed here, I stayed here. Uh, sometimes you have to kick a rock that won't move. <laughs> And that's my literally thing is like, I would kick it. That's what I would do. If I saw a rock, it wouldn't move, I'd kick it. Because I want him to make a decision. Get up and go or get out. Like, don't, you're not just gonna sit here and be a turd the rest of your life. Like that, the gospel 
That's receiving grace in vain that Paul talked about. You're to receive it and get after it. And if you're just going to sit here and just let your wife lead you and lead your kids and, you know, that's not what, that's not the end result of the gospel. That's not what the gospel does in you. And so a lot of times I will make a person really uncomfortable and push them. So they're either going to leave, right? Because they're going to go somewhere else that's more comfortable or they're going to change for their good, God's glory and their family's good. So sometimes there's, you has got to push a guy. Anything else? I know we're freezing. Anything else? Yes, sir. Great question. So we are spread thin, obviously, as men. We have to devote time to our career. We have to devote time to our personal life, our family, our wife, our kids, the church. That can spread us very thin. How do we know um, when to spend more time, like where to put our time? In which bucket should we put our time, basically? And how much should we put in each bucket? Um, that's, that's a great question. I'll let Alex, he has 14 children, so I'll let him talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would say the thing that, that I would start with is <clears throat> you're going to be blind to most of the time when you're, when you're sacrificing other areas of your life because you're going after this, this other area of your life. So being able to have men in your life, people in your life, your, your wife, um, to be able to bring that to your awareness. And then, of course, being able to have the humility to, to, to fight for change. I would say that that's probably the way that I've functioned mostly is more of a reactive way of, of just kind of going about, I have all these things going on and I'm going I'm to want to try to do them all successful, but that's more than likely not going to be the case. So then I, I have these kind of checks in my life where people can then say, hey, you know, this is, this is happening with, with your children. You know, so now you have to refocus and figure out how you can actually spend more time there, invest more time there, knowing that that's actually going to cause other things to, you're going to have to sacrifice other things. Because we, we all only have so much capacity to do things, right? Even though we've been called to have a lot of capacity as men, right? We're called to carry a lot of weight. And, and like he always says, men trucks drive straighter, right, when they have a lot of weight. So that's good for a man to have that weight, to, to actually pursue a, a lot of um, important things. But it's going to be rare for them for, for them to always be going well. So there's going to be kind of just, you know, changes throughout where you have to just switch your focus. Um, but I think you could also be proactive um, with that, of, of being able to, instead of just waiting for something to go bad and then responding, you can be proactive. One of the things that um, me and Emily started doing is, um, we actually, so I, I, at my business, we have a weekly meeting where we have times in that meeting where we're like, hey, what's, what's going, what, how are we doing at this? How can we change and respond? Well, we have that with, with our relationship. You know, we ask the question, how are, we, how are you doing? How are we doing? You know, how is our family doing? And then we, we do the same thing with the kids. You know, how are we doing with the kids? Just constantly be asking those questions, which that's going to be part of that reaction. We're going to have to change based off of that. Um, whatever the answer is, but that also can help us then say, 
things are going well, what do we need to do to, to continue that, that things are, are going well? And I would recommend, there's a book called What's Best Next by Matt Perman. And it's kind of like a gospel-centered productivity book. And it's, it's, re- it's like getting things done, but letting the gospel motivate you to get things done. And this is a really good book and a really good resource that I would recommend to you if you want to go deeper into it. And um, Matt, you, we've got to think about, first off, priorities. We've got to think about our priorities, doing the most important things first, right? And then I think, and we've got to determine what those are, and then we have to put them in our schedule. And so, obviously, you can't lead a wife well spiritually if you are not leading yourself well spiritually. So your own devotion with the Lord, your own personal relationship with God has got to be primary for that, right? And so you've got to think about, it really goes your relationship with the Lord, your relationship with your wife second, your relationship with your kids third. Like that's kind of, right? And, what, and the way that God's called us to be all of those things is in community and on mission. So we're not called to do that per, just personally, me and Jesus, but as a part of a community, as part of a church on the mission of God. And so we've got to... Um, what we say around here, you know who you are, your identities, and then what are your rhythms going to look like out of that? And then it's going to be constantly evaluating, and, and, and everything's seasonal. You know that. If you're an accountant, like tax season, right, you're, you're going to be working a whole lot more, right? And then you're going to take time off in the summer and be able to put checks and balances in your, in your life and ministry. So for me, um, I love to preach. It's what I'm gifted at, it's what God's called me to do. I find it life-giving and I find it easy to do. It's the funnest thing for me to do, you know? But I take a month off every summer. I take a month off and I, and I step away from it and I let the Lord lead the church and the other men preach and I step out of it because I know my identity can get wrapped up in it. And so I already know that and so I put it like a, che- like a pressure valve. I'm trying to put a pressure valve in that in the ministry every year. Right? Okay, this is the, this is the summer I'm gonna, this summer I'm going to take I'm going to take time away. Right? And then I'm going to go hard when I get back. Right? Learning rhythms like that in your life, ministry, family, etc. <clears throat> that it? Anybody else? Oh yeah. That's right. There's so a truck can drive straighter with a lot of weight. But every truck is, is rated for a certain amount. And so you got an F-150, whatever, it's like 1,500 pounds. Though I've carried over 2,000 in them before. <laughs> uh, but the springs are going to break eventually. And that's, ab- that's absolutely true. We all only have so much capacity. Yeah. And as, but you know what? But what's interesting is like you grow, yeah. you put too much weight on the bench press, and you can't get it up, Right? But if you keep doing that, eventually you will get it up. And so we, we learn that crash and burn. That's what men do, right? Like we learn, how high could I jump off of and not break my legs, right? Well, that was too far, right? We, but, but we learn it and the Lord expands our capacity by trying hard things. This is what I did last summer, Right? Hmm, can I, I did two large remodeling projects in the middle of the summer instead of taking my normal month-long vacation, come back, full adrenal fatigue, ruined my whole, my whole fall, couldn't sleep. I said, looking back, 
I, I, I brought it to all the elders. Hey guys, this is what I'm thinking about doing. It's going to be tough, but it's only going to be like a month. You think, should I do it? Well, sounds like you need to do it. So it sounds like, all right, try it. Well, then six months later, we look back and we go, that was a dumb thing to do. I learned, I broke myself, literally. I broke myself last year and it ruined the last half of my year. So um, you, we, learn from, we learn from that too. But then there's, there's a lot of guys that just like, you need more weight, man. Yeah. You need more weight. It's the freshman in college who's telling their parents how busy they are. And they're like, you have three classes. You play eight hours of Mario Kart. That was me like, <laughs> when I was a freshman. <laughs> you know? Uh, but you, they, they just don't understand that they actually are built for more and they can actually carry more weight and responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only other thing I would add, Todd, is that's what I mentioned in the beginning of just we're blind most of the time to the truck having too much weight. Um, and what we do is the truck's not moving, but we just sit there and continue to ask the question, why is the truck not moving? You know, but so if you can have men in your life that are actually can, can, can speak into it and say, hey, well, it's not moving because of all the weight in the back of the, of the truck. You know, let's figure out how we can get rid of some of this weight. But then other men, you're blind to that you don't have enough weight, right? And I'm just zooming down the road and I keep driving crooked, not staying on the, in, in, the, in the lane. Well, then you need to have men in your life to say, hey, let's put some more weight in there so things can start looking more in alignment with the gospel. So for a young man, that could mean like, Give yourself a limit on video games. Like literally, like an hour, maybe an hour. You got a lot of free time, an hour a day. But instead, fill your time with being more invested in your missional community. Go over to people's houses. Help them watch their kids. Help them build their deck. Like that's how you're going to learn how to be a man. You're not going to learn how to be a man by, by you know, getting through the battle pass in a week on, on Call of Duty, right? It's learning things like that. Like emptying the truck with video games or with extra hobbies maybe and filling it with actually responsibility. <clears throat> Anything else? All right, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you once again for these men. I thank you for this morning. Even though it's chilly, I thank you that we get to gather together as men in a chaotic environment that this world uh, man, the, the foundations of our country, the foundations of our society are really being tested and they are going, everything that's not built upon your word is going to be, crumble. It's going to fail. And we should not, not be surprised when the wind and the waves and the storms um, tear those things down. But Father, I pray that these men here would build their life on your foundation and they would stand strong and your church would shine bright in the midst of all the chaos, that we would be uh, peacemakers and we would be leaders and we would carry the weight that you've called us to, to carry, to build a good life, to build a good family, to build a good business and build a good church that's gonna withstand the storms of life. Would you bless these men uh, in that pursuit? In Jesus' name I pray, amen.